This is Artist Soapbox. Through interviews and original scripted audio fiction, we deliver stories that speak to your hearts and your minds. How can we use writing as a refuge during our journey through grief? Can we evolve rather than dissolve as we act as caregiver for a loved one? In this episode, Julia Freifeld delves into her creative process as author and artist and details the personal journey that led to her book, In Each Other's Bones, a memoir of love, loss, and living. Here's a little bit of information about In Each Other's Bones and Julia Freifeld. Julia and Mark had carefully constructed a life together. Their vision for themselves, their marriage, and their children had always been in sync. Then life took a terrible turn. Mark was diagnosed with a fatal degenerative neurological disease with no hope for a cure. They would endure 10 years of daily discussions about disease, doctors, medicines, and dying. Drawing upon therapy, painting, sacred rituals, and writing, Julia found the strength to remain at peace and not fall to pieces as she worked to keep her marriage strong and prepare for life on her own. A classically trained fine artist, Julia Freifeld earned her degree from Boston University in painting and printmaking. After studying in Paris, she worked as a scenic artist for Disney Studios in Los Angeles. She now lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. In Each Other's Bones is available on Amazon.com. Learn more at JuliaFreifeld.com. My conversation with Julia made my heart full. On her website, she writes, The theme of my life is love. And that became abundantly clear. Like her book, Julia's conversation is full of humor, vulnerability, and wisdom. See the links in the show notes for more information and enjoy. Hi, Julia. Hello. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. Let's jump right in. The listeners are familiar with your bio and the background of your book. I'm curious, what was your relationship with writing before you started writing in response or alongside Mark's diagnosis? Did you consider yourself a writer? That's an interesting question. I don't know if I considered myself a writer. But starting in middle school, I was writing in a diary. At that time, they were called diaries. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I wrote off and on middle school, high school, college, and then stopped. So I didn't think of myself as a writer. But when Mark got sick and his symptoms were beginning, I turned back to journal writing. I went right. I grabbed a composition notebook. I grabbed a pen. And I started writing. So it wasn't until years later when this book was created that I, I now realize I am a writer. Mm-hmm. When I look back at my diaries, I found them from middle school, high school. You know what? They're, they're very good. They're very open. They're very unfiltered. They're very poetic. Um, so there is that. It was a grain there. Mm-hmm. So you always wrote. Always wrote. You just didn't call yourself a writer. Isn't that interesting? It is. But it's, it definitely was my go-to is where I needed to express myself was through my writing during Mark, during the caregiving years. I read somewhere that you had a compulsion to write during this time, that you wrote on scraps of paper, napkins, ripped out calendar pages, etc. Would you talk a little bit about that compulsion? Well, when you were, what felt like I was fighting for my life during caregiving with my husband, I sought out some place where I could 
unload all those emotions and not on him or not on my children or anyone else. And so I did, I carried a journal around with me most of the time, but sometimes I didn't have it with me and I'd be in the market and a thought would come to me and I would take my, that receipt and start writing and, and stick it in my car. And I had papers all over my house, little napkins from restaurants where I would write things down. Then eventually I had the idea to put them in this giant plastic tub. And I thought one day I will revisit these scraps and put them together. And it wasn't until after my husband passed that I took those papers and napkins and receipts and laid them out. And sometimes I remember to date them and sometimes I didn't. So I had to kind of like, a, it was like a puzzle of fitting where things went. I have a picture somewhere of me next to my big tub of scraps hmm. of paper. And it was, um, I'm grateful I did that. I'm grateful I just wrote on anything and had that because it was very beneficial when I put my book together to have those uh, bits and pieces. Were the bits and pieces like journal entries, daily occurrences? Were they poems? What Was it everything? What did you put down on paper? Everything. Sometimes it was a line I thought would be really good in a poem. So, or it could have been um, just a feeling, a thought, something from a therapy session maybe I came out of and I had a, some realization. And I knew to keep it on paper to get it there. And writing versus painting, for instance, because I, I always thought of myself as a painter. It's very immediate. Painting, like I couldn't do a quick painting at the bank when I had a thought. Mm. You know, I could quickly write something. Painting requires setup. It requires putting out your brushes and everything and, and closing it all down. And that takes a lot of time. Writing was just right there. Writing was right there. So... That's why writing became my tool, my where I unleashed my emotions. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you to go back through those scraps of paper from your tub? You know, it was it's very bittersweet. Writing the book was very bittersweet because, first of all, I'm very in touch with myself. I know myself. And so if I had a feeling, if it was hard, if it was sad, if it was excruciating, I didn't hesitate to write it. And then to read it later when I was still raw, uh, when I was writing this book, Mark had just passed, I could look at it and feel compassion for myself and, and grateful that I wrote it, grateful I could revisit it. And I mean, this is way down, way later when, my, when I finished the book, got near it, my children read it. I felt that in a way they got to see me, they got to know me in a way we don't always know our parents, being vulnerable, hurting, reaching for understanding, you know, we think our parents have all the answers, and I didn't. I think one thing I might add, so I'm both a painter and now I do see myself as a writer. At that time, while I was caregiving, I had to trust my artistry. I had to listen. I had to follow my muse. And when I wrote this book, I felt like I was painting a painting. Hmm. I felt like I painted a book, and it set me free, for sure. Say more about that. You painted a book. You know, when you paint, when I paint, I throw on the paint. I don't think too much. I throw it on. I throw it on. I layer. I layer. I layer. I, then I scrape and I take off and I put more. I'm like this push-pull with this canvas. I don't know where it's going necessarily, but I, I love the process. I love throwing paint on a canvas and taking it off and seeing what's underneath. And sometimes, you know, I might start a canvas and roll. I'm using a roller. I'll put the, the oil paint on the roller, roll it creates a texture or something, but then with the layers, you, know, you never see that rolled paint, but it doesn't matter, it's there. Um, and you write, I mean, 
I edited this book, but if I hadn't, this book would have been double the size. It would have been 600 pages. So, of course, editing, it's the same like editing a painting. I'm throwing everything out there, and then I'm pulling out and editing and taking out. So the process is, again, this sort of like push, pull, put on, take out, because writing is like painting. There's like a struggle involved with the process when you're doing something creative. I can't even have music on. I can't ha- it has to be completely silent. So when you arrive at something, 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 an image exists or, or a really good poem happens, that creative experience is just, it, it's beyond satisfying. I, I don't even know how to describe creativity in, in a way. It's just instinct. It's, it's trusting my intuition. I love that you said that. Thank you. I've been thinking a lot about this idea of muse or creative spark. And you mentioned that you were really in touch with your muse. I want to know what your relationship is with your creativity now. But I also want to know if your relationship to that, we'll call it the muse, what that was like during this whole writing process. I had mentioned the word compulsion. You picked up on that word. I had to write to survive during those caregiving years. Mark was sick for 10 years, and he had a a type of illness that there's no remission and there's no cure. Like ALS, MSA, which is what he had, is progressive. Eventually, he's not talking, walking, moving, swallowing. That's so excruciating to see, you know, the person I love most. So there, for me, there had to be some kind of an outlet, something to do. Someone else might dance. Someone else might need to exercise more or whatever. For me, it's, create, it's always going to be creative. And what, what's also really great about writing, at least how I journal and people journal all different ways, I don't, I don't stop. It is, I'm on a roll. I am just unfiltered. I'm just writing. I'm, it's repetitive. There's no grammar. There's no thought of grammar or punctuation. It is just an unleashing of every emotion I'm experiencing. I never thought anyone would ever read my journals. I thought these were just for the moment and that maybe, maybe I throw them away. Because it, this book, it's very personal. I didn't even know it was going to be a book. That came years later. I thought I was just surviving. And by writing, uh, I was surviving that day. And then the next day, I'd write some more. And they were hidden. These journals were hidden. I don't know if Mark knew. I don't know if my kids knew at that time. So it was years later that it occurred to me with somebody's advice that maybe I have a book. Hmm. A writer friend of mine who read some of my journal entries, she said, you might have a book here, Julia. And that was, as they say, newsflash. <laughs> <laughs> and, and usually I'm a very impulsive person. I'll just jump in. Let's do this. Let's do that. That slowed me down. That thought was a jolt. Do I have a book? Do I want to expose myself that much? Do, do I want my children to know every feeling I had? But I knew to, the creative process is if you're going to do it, you just have to be yourself and you have to just open up and, you, and put it out there. Well, eventually, 12 years later, my book was finished. It took that long to write, to edit, to think uh, about it, to decide what goes in and what you take out. So you said it is a very personal book, a very personal story. How do you feel knowing that your personal journey is out there in the world? And why did you decide to make it into a book for other people to read? Well, that part, okay. I didn't know how that was going to feel till it happened. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) Yeah, surprise. My life is full of surprises. I'm like, oh, that led to that. All right. Well, so I finished the book. It's published. 
I had my big book launch last October. I bring a reading at Quail Ridge Books. And, you know, at first, my family, my friends read it. I get this feedback. They know me. I trust them. But then it has this ripple effect. It's only people from the Midwest, people I don't know, California, are emailing me, calling me, reaching out. And I realize I'm helping people. This is what I learned. This was the process. My book is like a roadmap for anyone in, in the throes of caregiving. It is a roadmap. And it's different than other books because, and this is the biggest surprise. And this is what made my writer friend say, Julie, you have something here that's different than a caregiver books, is even in the throes of it, even in my, where was I, anxious and scared and the future was completely precarious. My husband was going to die. Was it today? Was it years? Living this very high-strung life. At the same time, I felt something really big was happening for me. Something beautiful was happening. I was growing and I could feel it. I could feel myself being stretched and, and I was growing inside this chaos. And in my book, in my journal entries from the beginning, I I, I write about, I felt this hand on my back pushing me forward towards something, towards something I was going to learn from and, and something beautiful. And it didn't feel like that every second, but I, I wrote about it early on and I was intrigued enough that that's what kept me kind of going forward. And so if I hadn't written this book, I would have been a more wounded person today. I wouldn't be who I am now. That's the beautiful thing that occurred as I grew, I evolved. I didn't stay stuck. Did the publishing phase also help with your healing? Well, it's a self-published book. Uh-huh. And that's what I wanted. I, I looked into publish, small publishing, and this is my first book. So I knew I wasn't going to get a big publishing house. I looked at small ones. I contacted them. They contacted me. They were going to really own the rights to the book and control a lot of the book. And I didn't want that. And so I wanted to be able to put the kind of cover I wanted on the book. They didn't want this cover, which is a, I painted a double portrait of my husband and I. So I loved the process of actually being self-published. That was a new world. And I found someone in Chicago who works with self-published authors. And she was wonderful. She was a guide and it was really easy to work with her. I just sent her the cover. Or I would send her a PDF. She knew what, then what to do, which I did. I wouldn't been able to do. So I, ha I was in good hands. I was in a professional's hands. Wonderful. So I've heard this described as writing as grief therapy. Does that phrase or label fit your experience? Well, in a way it was. I mean, like I said, I was emptying out my emotions. I would be writing in my journal sobbing. I guess that's grief therapy. I was letting my emotions out and uh, learning by writing, learning about myself. I was on tons of learning curves, and one of them was learning about myself through my writing. I guess it, it was therapeutic, but I was also in therapy. So the whole thing, the whole it overlapped. But maybe creativity for me is therapeutic. Painting is therapeutic. I know my paintings did change after Mark's passing. I kind of felt they might, and they did. I do mainly portraiture, and I was painting families and children, um, some still life, some landscape. And after his passing, I wanted to paint couples. And I, I have this little business called Love Paintings by Julia. And I was doing a lot of love paintings for a while. And just recently now, I want to go abstract, completely abstract. And I've just started this new direction. So, I mean, my creativity is always evolving in my painting. Are you also writing still? You know, it's funny. I am not right now. This year, this book, the promoting of the book and, and being in readings and podcasts, uh, it's just what I'm very involved with this year. Uh, so I'm not 
writing. I mean, I take, actually, I take notes. I call it taking notes. I'm exactly even oh. journal. I'm taking notes. <laughs> I'm taking notes on my life. <laughs> I like notes. that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I'm taking notes. <laughs> taking notes. I'm taking names. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would you say to somebody who would like to use writing, who would like to turn to writing in the way that you did, but feels stuck? They're in the midst of a difficult trajectory in their lives. And they wonder if this would be something that could help them, but they don't know what to do. Do you have any suggestions? First of all, when you write it in a journal, if you're going to journal write, no one's going to read it. So you don't have to be, you know, don't take out the self-critical nature and just put in, what am I going to write? And don't worry about the punctuation. Just write. Just the thought comes to you, write and don't criticize it. And if you can do that, that's the start. If you can't even do that, like you want to write, but you, you just can't, you might need a mentor. You might need someone, you know, there are workshops, there are memoir workshops, there are diary, you know, journal workshops, and then maybe you need, maybe you'd benefit from prompts. So there's lots of ways to go. But if you have an instinct, if you're feeling like, I want to write, then you have something to write about and trust that instinct and just find a way to do it either on your own or with maybe a guide. That is great advice. Wonderful. Julia, you also included poems in your book. What was it like to turn to poetry? Do you have a poem that you would like to read for us? The process of writing a poem is totally different than a journal entry. A poem, writing a poem, is like writing a dream. Because not that I'm overly self-editing while I'm writing the poem, but I'm thinking more in metaphor simile, color. It's different with the journal. I'm not thinking about anything. I mean, the poem, it's like a dream. I'm thinking differently. And so during the caregiving experience, so Mark and I were married 34 years. But at the end of his illness, at the end of his life, I realized our relationship was actually really changing. And I had to pull away. He, he sort of had to pull away as he prepared for his dying. I realized we were uncoupling, and that was a really painful realization that, yeah, I was preparing. I was, I was letting him go, and he was letting me go. So I wrote a poem about it, and I'll read that to you. It's called A Mirage. I stand by the window, looking through two types of glass. Plate glass offers the clear view. Crackle glass animates the outside world as slender branch fragments, rustling leaves, kaleidoscope. I close one eye, images liquefy. An ordinary red brick moves like water. The sky ripples. Rooftops look like brush marks. Colors blur like watered silk. The crackles are like threads, looping their delicate way around the glass. The interlaced facets are within the soft pane. Thank you. I can tell that you're a painter. So much, <laughs> so much. Visual. Yeah, visual. My poems are, are very visual. And uh, my dreams are very visual, very much like poems. So it's all, you know, my book is very eclectic. It has paintings in it. It has poems. It has dreams. And it's true, actually. I think that my poems and dreams are very overlapping. All right, let's talk about dreams. 
I'm not a dream person. Like, I don't write them down. I don't remember them. Are you a dream person? Yeah. Do they speak to you? Yeah. Oh, I had a dream journal also just next to my bed. And that I kept by my bed. And I included 25 of my dreams in my book. Some of them were just a sentence. And some of them are about a paragraph. They're short. But one dream is this kind of a fun one that I had. So it was after, it was after Mark passed away, a few months after he passed away. And my son David was living with me at the time. He was about 21. I woke up and, and David meets me in the kitchen. We're having breakfast. And I tell him about this dream. I said, I had a funny dream. I had a dream that dad was leaning on a mailbox, like heavily. And he was just talking and he was trying to tell me something I couldn't really understand, but I was trying to listen. I said, Dave, that was the whole dream. Nothing really, but kind of a funny dream, just that leaning on the mailbox. About 10 minutes later, my son, Jeremy, and his wife, Jen, come over. I'm going to babysit their son, Noah. They come in the house and they both say, what happened to your mailbox? I said, well, what do you mean? Well, it's fallen down. (laughs) So we all run outside. And I, luckily, I just told David about my dream because otherwise no one would have believed that right, right. about Mark leaning so heavily in the mailbox that I thought it was going to fall. There's my mailbox flat on the dirt. Wow. So I got really, you know, ooh, during, my, during these years anyhow, I thought he is sending a signal and I'm listening. I'm listening. I got really into trying to hear from him after he passed. I went to mediums. Uh, I went to an afterlife conference, and I had experiences where I felt visited by him. And I felt the dreams I had where he would appear were visits. And so I told my children, pay attention to your dreams, Dad might be visiting you. It's very hopeful. It's the glass half full feeling. And that's how I explain it, that I felt his presence. I think everything that you're saying really underlines for me how open you were to receiving at a time when you could have chosen to shut down, to close off. Instead, you worked very diligently to continue to open and open and open. And in return, it seems to me that you were receiving all of these wonderful sparks of creativity and dreams and poems and messages almost at a higher level because you were tuned in and you were listening. It also seems a little bit like a almost a physical process, you know, that you were absorbing somehow all of this and you were channeling it out to the page or to your paintings or into the poems. It's very compelling and I think it's really beautiful that you made that choice. Thank you. Yeah, that's very well said how I felt. I wasn't just absorbing. So I had mentioned earlier that I wrote this book and in the process by helping manage my life, and not remaining stuck in the past and closed down, it made room to, for me to move forward. To move forward meant and also meant to create room for new love in my life. And it's just a shout out to John. <laughs> that is exactly what happened. I met someone and life does go on. I, am a, I can experience love again. I didn't know I could, but I can. He's a widower and so we share that caregiving journey. We share that loss of of a very happy marriage that we were both in, and we can be open to each other and grow and manage this new phase of life together. And it's very beautiful. I'm so happy for you. And what a wonderful discovery that there isn't a finite amount of love. Exactly. It's infinite. Oh, it's there. I mean, my husband at the end of his life, one thing he tried to tell me, Julia, you're too young. 
I hope you can find love again. And I'd say, oh, no, 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 I'm just going to read a book. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be fine. Um, But he said, just remember what I said. Keep that in mind because you may change your mind. And I was grateful because his words about a year later did enter my thoughts. And I thought, okay, he felt it was going to be okay. And I do, I think I want a companion. And it was, it was generous of him to, to say that to me. And I'm grateful for that. And I do think of him every day. Is there anything else that you would like to read to us before we close? Okay, I'm going to read a letter. About six months after Mark passed away, I put my house up for, on the market. I was selling the house that we lived in together for 19 years. And I was moving out in just a matter of weeks. In my journal, I wrote a letter to Mark, letting him know. <laughs> and so I will read that, that letter. Uh, and this is a chapter in my book. And the chapter is called Dearest Mark. My time in our home is winding down. In 10 days, I will move out of our home of 19 years. I often lie on the floor in our sitting area where your hospital bed was. Before your illness, this room held only a bookcase and a desk no one used. It was a room barely touched. Now it's a room filled with the most significant memories. This is where you lay for weeks before dying, where we'd circle you for hours, bringing the babies to you and placing them on your lap or nestling them onto your chest. You would watch us come and go, not speaking, but occasionally you'd smile or wink. The last few days of your life, you'd look up towards the corner of the room. It seemed like you saw something I wish I had asked what you were seeing. I think of you, ache for you, and miss you. I remember your final weeks, days, hours, and minutes. I remember your face the night before you died. Your face shined and your eyes sparkled as you lovingly rested your gaze on each of us. You were taking one last look, as if you wanted to carry us with you forever. Were you telling us, I love you, thank you, I'll miss you, you're beautiful? It seemed as though you were. I didn't detect anger or bitterness, just acceptance and awareness of exactly what was happening. I'm grateful for this sitting room, this house. But now it's time to move on. I love you, Julia. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for reading it. When you were finding that page in your book, I was watching you flip through and reading bits. It's amazing to watch authors engage with their own books. Such an interesting, it feels like almost watching something private, you know, happen when people reread their work. What is it like to hold this book in your lap and hug it and (laughs) have it? It's incredible. It's incredible. Right before Mark died also, I I said, do you want to hear a little bit of my book? He mouthed the words, okay. So I started to read him. And after about a paragraph, he kind of took a wobbly hand and put it on my hand. And he mouthed the words, you don't have to read it. I'm living it. (laughs) <laughs> he said, but make sure you finish it if it's important to you. And it became very important for me to finish. And I did. And so the fact that I finished it, it's sort of acknowledging him and my children 
for the kinds of caregivers they were to their father. It acknowledges that time in our life. So it's a beautiful thing to hold this book. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Established in 2017, Artist Soapbox is a podcast production studio based in North Carolina. Artist Soapbox produces original scripted audio fiction and an ongoing interview podcast about the creative process. We cultivate aspiring audio dramatists and producers, and we partner with organizations and individuals to create new audio content. For more information and ways to support our work, check out artistsoapbox.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. The Artist Soapbox theme song is Ashes by Juliana Finch.